Well, very good. You may be seated. Wonderful to greet each other warmly and to welcome one and all to God's house. We desire very deeply to be a place where no matter who you are, what your background is, what your week was like, that you can come in here on Sundays and feel welcomed and loved and blessed. This is a place where it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And we hope that you'll find encouragement and challenge and blessing by being in God's house. How many of you have ever shifted without a clutch before? That's a a painful thing in in a way. It doesn't necessarily sound too great, does it? Um, But today, as we go through our morning together and the time we have left, we're going to have to shift without a clutch because we have three elements that we want to enjoy and they're all very important and we want to give them all some time. The first thing I want to do on this Memorial Day weekend is to take a moment and uh, have together a moment of silence uh, for the significant remembrance that is Memorial Day. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say that a number of years back, I sat with a iPad or my phone or something, and I just Googled and had to refresh myself as to the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day and and what we signify with those various days. And, and I actually just felt embarrassed. I did not have a better handle on that, but I just didn't. And I needed to be reminded of, of what we were remembering and what we were commemorating or celebrating with Veterans Day as we honor and celebrate all of those, uh, both past and present, who have served in any of the branches of our military. And then on Memorial Day, a much more sobering weekend, when we as a grateful nation pause to look back on those who gave their life in service of our country. And that's what Memorial Day is all about. We remember and we reflect on individuals in past uh, military service who paid the ultimate price um, in service of our country. And so I would invite you to join me in a moment of silence remembering those who gave their life and remembering their families, dads and moms and brothers and sisters who sent loved ones off to battles and and even off in peace times, and that loved one did not come home as they were sent off. And what a wound that is for a family. And I have had many families over the years tell me, Pastor Mike, we've never gotten over it but every passing year, it gets a little bit easier to live with it. And you can just imagine as a parent what that would be like. Uh, And so that's Memorial Day. And while barbecues will be going, and and rightfully so, and days off are enjoyed and gatherings are, are had, and rightfully so, throughout the weekend, I hope you'll give some time to reflect back on the significance and the importance of this weekend. Let's take a moment of silence together. Father, we thank you for the importance of the principle that is taught throughout your scripture of remembering. And Lord, on this Memorial Day weekend, we we remember. We thank you that you call us to remember, to reflect, to think. 
And in just a, a bit at the end of this service, Lord Jesus, we're going to remember you as you as well paid a huge sacrifice for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray that this weekend will be a weekend of reflection and remembrance for us and what a good thing that is for our heart and our souls. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And the joy of being in your house today, the joy of singing together, the joy of laughing together, the joy of greeting each other warmly. I pray that everyone that leaves here will say with the psalmist David, it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord. Thank you for all you've done for us. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Today, it's my privilege to be back with you uh, after an absence last week. And much thanks to our wonderful team who held the fort well while I was gone. But we're sure happy to be back in the beautiful state of Oregon, back in Corvallis, back to cutting grass, right? It's really growing Uh, and back to the beautiful spring that has been ours to enjoy uh, to this point. And back together in the book of James. We're working our way through the book. Of course, we could spend months upon months. You could spend years in the book of James. And uh, we're going to go through it in about six Sundays together. Um, And I hope that it will just be an encouragement to you. I hope that it will inspire you. And James will become either a new friend or a familiar friend to you that you'll come back and visit time and time again. Uh, Bible scholars have called James the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a five-chapter power punch from the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. James would not have made a good politician because he just walks right up into your face, he gets right up into your grill, and he just puts out truth in the plainest and boldest of terms possible. And I think in many ways that's why we're incredibly drawn and why we love this book. Because there's not a lot of mincing of words. It's extremely strong. It's extremely practical. And it deals with things right where we're living. It deals with our faults and our failures. It deals with our highs, our lows. It blasts um, topics uh, that are just absolutely apropos to where we live every day of our life. And it's, and it's quite a treasure and quite a wonderful five-chapter power pack. As you guys know, when we introduced the series a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. And so he grew up in very close proximity to the Lord. And yet the understanding that we sort of garner um, from the uh, other writings of Scripture is that maybe it wasn't until, and notice I use the word maybe, it wasn't until even after the resurrection that James really cl- came to crystal clear faith in Jesus for who he really was beyond just a half-brother and the son of Mary and Joseph, but actually the Messiah who had come to take away the sins of the world, who was exactly who he said he was, who is exactly who he said he is, And he went to that cross, taking our sins upon him. He went to that tomb, and he came forth from that tomb on the third day, victorious and triumphant. And after uh, that, we receive this gift of the book of James. James chapter 3 deals with an amazing topic, in particularly in the first 12 verses. Because we're going to have the opportunity of celebrating the Lord's table together this morning, there is no way that I'll be able to complete the message. This message will be a two-parter. We'll get it started today, and then we'll pause it, and we'll complete it together 
next week. Look how it starts off. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, that's a real word of encouragement to Pastor Mike. We're going to be judged more strictly. And that's any teacher, uh, whether it's teaching children over in the uh, children's area or teaching students or working with the seniors in a teaching role. Because of the great use of words in teaching, as we see the context here, we as teachers will face a stricter judgment. With this great opportunity comes great responsibility and will also come with it great judgment, which is a breathtaking thought and a humbling thought. Look what is said in verse 2. Indeed, we all make mistakes. And the church said, amen to that. I think James sort of, and this is a little bit un-James-esque here, because he is just so bold, and, and he doesn't really take you off the hook. But I think James is sort of trying to make us all feel just a little bit better there, as he says, listen, if you're a teacher of any sort, you're going to face a lot more stricter judgment. And he's getting ready to then pivot into talking about our tongue or our words. He knows what's coming. And sort of sandwiched in between that, he gives us a bit of an olive branch here. He gives us just a moment to catch our breath. And look what he says, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Who here, let me ask this question, uh, and, and we had a resounding, unanimous answer at 9, and I predict it may be the same here at 1030. Who here has never made a mistake? Let me see your hand. You've never made a mistake. That was the exact answer we had at 9 o'clock. Who here can relate to this? Who says, Pastor Mike, no, in fact, I've made many mistakes. Let me see your hand. And my hand's up. I'm leading the charge here. We have told lies. We have uh, talked behind people's backs. We have, um, we've done things uh, in action and or attitude that we would love to have back. We have been at times too harsh. At other times, we've been too soft. There have been moments in our life, there have been seasons in our life, that if we could have the opportunity to do them over, we may seriously look at taking those moments and those opportunities. And this phrase touches all of our hearts, men, women, boys, girls, young and old, no matter what the season and the scope of our life, we all agree together, we take off the mask together for a few moments, and we all say, indeed, we all make many mistakes. And then look at this next phrase. Just as soon as you're able to catch your breath and breathe a little, James puts the vice back on you. Just as soon as you're ready to go, okay, now he's going to go into a nice discourse on the love of God in Christ. And I'm going to be able to just rejoice in who I am in him and know that because of who I am in him, even though I make lots of mistakes, he's going to keep growing me and it's going to be beautiful and there's going to be unicorns and lollipops and watermelon and rainbows. And that is not what James does. And you knew he wouldn't. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. And look what he says, bam, for if we could control our tongues, oh boy, if we could control our tongues. And that's a question, that's a statement, that's a thought that, again, is for men and women and boys and girls and young and old. It's for all of us. If we could control our tongues. 
notice back at chapter 3 here, verse 1. Look at the first four words. Don't forget his audience. Dear brothers and sisters. He's talking to Christians here. If we could control our tongues. Warren Wiersbe says the tongue is the world's smallest but largest troublemaker. And boy, that's the truth, isn't it? The world's smallest but largest troublemaker, the tongue. When we talk about the tongue, we know that we're talking about our what? Our words. The words that we speak and the power that is in those words. Now, there's one thing I want to share with you very quickly that really provides for us a foundation this morning. And then there's a number of verses I want us to see from earlier in James that really builds us up into James chapter 3. And then we're going to look at two of six illustrations, and that's all we're going to try to achieve together this morning. First thing, look at the foundation. And what I'm going to do is encourage you to turn back with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And when we think about our words, when we think about the tongue, when we think about their power, really there is a deeper source that can be both the blessing and the burden or the problem. That can be really the issue. That is really the fountainhead or the headwaters of maybe the the, the struggles that we're having with this world's smallest but largest troublemaker. Matthew chapter 12, uh, let's start reading in verse 34. Again, the Lord Jesus here, not mincing words, you brood of snakes, exclamation point. Wow. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? And then I've underlined this in my Bible. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. You guys knew that, didn't you? That really it's not just about the tongue, it's not just about our words, for our words simply reflect, our words are simply a reflection of what is in our what, church? Our heart. We could spend the rest of the time we have left pre-communion here talking and surveying through the book of Proverbs, where Proverbs shows us over and over and over again that the heart is that fountainhead of life. The heart is that fountain of our words and our tongue and our lips. Really, when we talk about the tongue and our words, what we're really talking about here together is we're talking about the condition of our heart. And so we've got to sort of think uh, really in two dimensions at once. That this tongue, that if, if I could master this tongue, that James says, if we could control our tongue, if we could learn to manage with the help of the Holy Spirit, our tongue. Oh, what a blessing that would be to us. But really, we've got to think also sort of simultaneously in the same dimension that what we're really talking about at its deepest root level is exactly what is going on in our heart. What is the condition of our heart? As parents, you learn pretty quickly the importance of not just trying to Uh, deal simply with your children's surface disobedient choices. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to just get caught up into sort of trying to manage the exterior details and, and, and you're trying to help correct those and clean those up and polish those and, you're, and you work and you work and, and, and after a while you kind of get to a point where you say, my goodness, I've got to find a way to get a little deeper here. We've got to start trying to see what God can do at the heart level. 
And it's amazing that when a heart gets right, how many things downstream and upstream of that will just instantly correct themselves instead of trying to clean all of those things up individually when a heart gets right. Isn't it fascinating that man, the Bible says, is intoxicated with, man is obsessed with the what? With the outward. I was listening to a car dealer the other day who on the radio was trying to convince me that I needed to be driving a new Mazda. And that if I would come trade in my car and get into a new Mazda, he would give me $1,500 that I could use on whatever I needed. And it's even more than that, he said. He said, it's also how you look and how you feel when you're in a new Mazda. I went, wow. I want to have that look. I want to have that feel. I want to be able to smell that new Mazda. And I want to be able to, I want to, be able to pull into market of choice and everybody go, wow. Look at that dude in a new Mazda. The funny thing that came to my mind was, I'm not for sure I've ever gone, wow, look at that new Mazda. You know what I, and with no disrespect to Mazdas, don't get me wrong, but I've just never been necessarily, (laughs) felt like it should have been a different dealership that was trying to sell that than a Mazda. But, But men and women and boys and girls, you think about our society is obsessed with the outward. It's the, it's the, It's the fountainhead of selling and sensationalism in our society. Men are obsessed with the outward. But what's the Bible say, church? But God looks directly at the what? The heart. That's right. And that is the foundation of really our discussions from James chapter 3. It's really at its root a discussion of what is in your heart. What is in our heart. And what work needs to be done in our hearts. Listen, as we go through this study of the book of James, God wants to do some work in our hearts. God wants to do some work, needs to do some work in my heart, your heart, our hearts together. We're clipping off the mask. We're coming together and saying, we all make mistakes. We all make wrong choices. We're thankful for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But God doesn't want us to stay there. God doesn't want us to set up camp there. He says, I want to do a work in your heart. I've got a work to do in your heart. And that work that's done in your heart will make its way out, positive or negative. Whether it's done or not done, it'll show forth. It'll come forth in and through your tongue. Let's go quickly and notice. And boy, I'm blown away by the inexhaustible nature of the Bible, God's Word. Just when you think you've really got it, when you see it all, when you really have it, all sort of in your hand and your mind wrapped around it, he'll just continue to blow us away and take us to new heights and new depths. It's an inexhaustible heart of God for our life. And I was blown away. How have I not seen this before? How much, how much James has to say about the tongue throughout the whole of his book. Let's just do a quick survey. Back in chapter 1, verse 19, I think this is the first real hint he gives us to this statement he makes where he says, if we could control our tongues. Pastor Mike, how do, I, how do I learn to control my tongue? I think he gives us a hint back in chapter 1, verse 19. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, 119. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's great wisdom. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to get angry. Look down in verse 26 of chapter 1. For if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. There's James. You're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Whoa. Chapter 2, verse 12 We're just surveying. We're building up to chapter 3. We're remembering in simultaneous balance, tongue, heart, heart, tongue, tongue, heart, heart, tongue, really about the heart. 2.12, so whatever you, I underline that next word, say, whatever you say, your, your tongue, your words. We know now, theologically speaking, from Proverbs from Matthew, from James, from the whole panoply of Scripture, here's what we know, that what we say is really a reflection of our what, church? Our heart. That's the root issue. Got to get to the root issue. It's a hard issue. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Whatever you say or whatever you do. We could go back to Matthew chapter 12. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. That verse that we looked at there. If you finish that section where God says, for out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And here's what he says, just a few lines down. And and don't ever forget this, that at the judgment, you're going to give an account for every idle word that you have spoken. Whoa. Whoa. So that's why James says, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Think of that word there, perfect, as maybe being translated, you could be fully mature. And we kind of get that. We could reach full maturity when we learn to shepherd our heart Therefore, then control our tongues. We're shepherding our heart. We're shepherding our tongues. And if we could learn that, maybe the first real hint is this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. We begin to control that world's smallest but largest troublemaker. And then we begin marching toward what real spiritual maturity looks like. Point one the reminder. It's all about the heart. Point two, the survey. James makes this point a lot in his book. It's just not in chapter three. It's a really big deal. Point three, look at the first two of six illustrations, and they are powerful. The Bible says in verse three, we can make a large horse go wherever we want it by means of a small bit in its mouth. Hmm. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand or big speeches. Whoa. And there's the two illustrations. We've got four more that we're going to see next week. You've got to come back. You can't miss that. But look at the first two. The bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder on a ship. How many of you here have ever ridden a horse? Let me see your hand. Wow. A lot of you. You know, the same thing was true at nine. 
I think like 90% of our folks have ridden a horse. Do you remember what it felt like when you got up on that? Like if you get up on a big, powerful horse, do you remember what that felt like? How many of you found that just to be a little bit nerve wracking? Let me see your hand. Yes, me too. Uh, I have a cowboy friend over in Northern Arizona and uh, he, he lives out and, and works for a large rancher and they regularly move their cattle from one place to another according to where they can get water and where they need to be feeding. And, 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 and they move cattle a lot from point A to point B to point C. And he invited me to come out and help him move cattle. And I said, okay, let's do it. And so actually my son Levi and I went out and it, it was a hoot, man. I'm going to tell you. And you're going to think I'm joking. And I'm not. I'm not joking you. Three days later, after I rode that horse, that horse died of cardiac arrest. And I'm not kidding you. I fell in love with that horse. And I saw my buddy Rich at church the next Sunday, and I said, hey, how's Joe doing? He said, Pastor Mike, Joe died on Wednesday. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, you're joking me. I got, I got him. I, I pinned his eyes. I said, you're joking me. Come over here. You're j-. He said, Pastor Mike, I... I said, I promise you on Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, on Wednesday, on Wednesday, Joe died. Pastor Mike, I think you killed my horse. I said, and that is the truth, church. I haven't been on a horse since. I'm not the horse whisperer. I'm the horse murderer. And I'm going to tell you, it's a sad thing. But that horse, that horse was so wonderful. It just makes me sad. I mean... I fell in love with that horse. I got up on that horse, and, and that horse could tell I was a rookie rider. And Rich said, Pastor Mike, this is hilarious. He said, the horse is totally dismissing you. He was. You could just feel, you can feel a horse. You know what he was, you could just feel it. He was saying this. Oh, good, good. And he would look over at, at Rich. Mm. He would. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm just doing, you know, I'm just on there just, you know, like a cat on a hot tin roof trying to work with this horse. And he said, Pastor Mike, just relax and do what I, t-. he said, you're, you're over, you're oversteering this. Just relax in the saddle. Just, just, just lead him. And he said, he said, come on, dig in and show him who's boss. And I did that. And you know what that horse, I could feel that horse. It responded. They are amazing animals. They really are. And you're holding what, church, in your hands? The reins. And that rein goes down is connected to a what in that horse's mouth. And here's this mighty hundreds and hundreds of pound animal that can just take off running, that can, that can lead and guide and, and point and, and direct cattle, that can carry a, a grown man all day long and, and it will just work and, and, and go miles and, and achieve great exploits. And all of that can be done by a man or a lady on that horse who's holding the reins and guiding that horse with that small little bit. Look at that illustration. James says that's exactly what your tongue is. And it's why it's so important that you shepherd your heart and your life and that you actively shepherd your tongue because your tongue is a powerful thing that can direct, here's my point, that can direct for good or for evil that can direct for good or for bad, that can direct for blessing or for cursing, for positive or for negative, for right or for wrong. It has an amazing amount of power. 
the horse and the bit. Look at the second illustration there. And it just really brings it full circle in our mind. It's the boat and the rudder, the ship and the rudder. Um, how many of you have ever seen a ship in dry dock? You've seen a ship in dry dock. It's an amazing thing. And they've got an entire ship lifted out of the water. It's in dry dock and they're making repairs. They're welding, they're painting, they're fixing. Maybe they're repairing a broken rudder. And here's this mighty ship and you study it, you're looking at it and you come back to the back of the ship. You look down that back edge and there is this small, this small rudder. I mean, the smallest of rudder. You're going, what? That is the directional instrument for that mighty ship? Yes, it is. And so is exactly the same with your tongue. Church, do we see, do we get, do we feel the point here? I think we get it crystal clear, don't we? It is this small member that has amazing, amazing power. And you know what my takeaway is from James 3? I don't think it's all negative here. There's something within me that wants to read this chapter sort of negatively, you know, like it's this big problem. And it can be, but but I want to say that the tongue that's given over and surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God within us, a tongue that is surrendered to obedience to the words of Christ, you know what I want to say? That tongue can have the ability to do an incredible amount of good as well. I don't want us to just think about this as negative. I, I think there's a call, there's an invitation here. There's the possibilities here of incredible good that can be done when we understand its power to direct. And here's my big takeaway for you this morning. The horse has the bit, but who's in the saddle holding the reins? The ship has the rudder that's connected to the wheel, and who is standing behind that wheel with his or her hands on the wheel? You know what I think the great secret here is, church? That if we want our tongues to be controlled, therefore showing our maturity, if we want our hearts to be shepherded effectively and healthfully, therefore our tongues speaking life and blessing and joy, we have to take our tongues, we have to take our hearts as, don't forget, brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, and we have to place them every single day in the Holy Spirit of God's hands. We've got to allow the Lord to take the wheel, to take the reins, to run the show, to lead us and guide us to what a healthy heart and healthy tongue look like. For our hearts to be directionally healthy and life-giving, for our tongues to be directionally healthy and life-giving, our tongues and our hearts need to be intentionally placed into the hands of the Lord and into the hands of the Holy Spirit of God who came to live within you the moment you were saved. It all comes down to who's holding the reins. And if you will allow Him to take control if you will take your tongue and your words and every morning that you get up, you'll put them on the altar before him and you'll say, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to run this. I don't want these to be my words. I want these to be your words today. I'm going to tell you what, your tongue can be used for absolutely remarkable good in your spouse's life, in your children's life, in your work associate's life, in your neighbor's life. He'll use you for great and mighty 
But when we take control of it, when we grab a hold of the wheel and the reins and we try to run it out of self, out of I, me and my, we have then that sad opportunity of finding our place in a bad place with our heart and with our tongue. He invites us to give him the reins of control. When we allow him to direct us, he will take our tongue and direct it for health and life-bringing words. I think the verse that just burns in my heart about this is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When we make that decision every single morning and sometimes throughout the day to trust in the Lord with all of our own hearts, to lean not into our own understandings, but into all of our ways acknowledge him, what's the Bible say? He will, what's the word? He will direct. When we allow him to direct us, he can then use our heart and our tongue as a directional blessing to others. doesn't have to be a negative. He can use it for great good when a life is fully surrendered to him. He can speak through you. He can do things through you that only he can do and only he can get the credit for. Last weekend, Jamie and I were down in Arizona. We attended a wedding of a wonderful couple We attended church in Arizona last Sunday morning, made our way, made preparations and to make our way back to Corvallis. I was talking to people after church, a lot of wonderful friends, and I see, I see a familiar face waiting for me in the back. I said, I'll be, hold on, I'll be back. And there he is with his wife, his wife's holding their new baby. I couldn't believe how he looked. I was in shock. You see, the first time I saw this individual and boy, one of the last times I saw this individual was across a piece of plexiglass with him holding a phone and I was holding a phone because he had been picked up in a city at the very tip of northern Arizona, absolutely strung out on crystal methamphetamine. Uh, doing unspeakable things, arrested, brought down to the Coconino County Jail. His dear mom, who's about one of the sweetest ladies you'd ever met, meet, called me in my office and said, Pastor Mike, would you go visit my son? Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, I hate to ask you to do this. Would you be willing to make one more try? And she just wept on the phone. Pastor Mike, we're just exhausted with his addictive behavior. We don't have any money left to hire another attorney. We, we've spent through our 401k. We've, we've tried counseling. We've tried, Pastor Mike, we don't have any resources left. He's been arrested again. He's near death. Would you just go see him at the jail? I'll be glad to go. And I did. Going into a jail is not fun. It's, it's, it's another kind of scary experience. And I went over to the jail, and, and this was really, the Coconino County Jail is really unusual in that they have you walk down this long, just, it's just cinder blocks. It's just concrete hallway, long. It felt like it would go forever 
without any windows. And in the distance, I could hear those doors closing. And I'm like, man, I'm feeling like anxious in here. And not only was I anxious about the environment, but I literally remember walking down that hallway and I reached back and I pulled my pants up and I could feel the back of my shirt was just soaked with perspiration. Not because of the environment and the tediousness of being in jail, but because I knew in about 30 to 40 seconds, I'm going to be sitting across from this person and I did not know what to say. I, I just did not have any clue what to say to this young man. I didn't. Can I just tell you something? That's a horrible feeling. When parents are counting on you, and not that they were putting undue pressure on me, but I mean, that parents are counting on you. You want to go and do a good job. I mean, you want to make this really count for something that's going to help this young man who's in a world of hurt and trouble. And I'm walking like my own green mile here going, I don't even know what in the world I'm going to say to this young man. And I arrive, and it's just he and I, and it's all concrete. And he picked up the phone, and I picked up the phone, and we had a conversation. And church, I'm going to be very, very straight with you. I can't remember a word of what I said to him. Because the last thing I said to the Lord was, Lord, I don't know what to say. You're going to just have to speak through me. I'm bankrupt here as to know what to do to try to help this young man. But Lord, you speak through me and I'll open my mouth and you just speak words of life to him. Because if he doesn't make a change, he's not going to be dead. He's going to be dead and he's not going to be alive by the end of this year. And when I saw him, I've never seen someone so thin in such a terrible condition. And we talked for 15 minutes and I left. And this past Sunday, there he was at church with his beautiful wife and their new baby girl. And I kept saying, I'll be back there, wait, wait. And he had put on so much weight I told Jamie, I said, did you see, and I called his name, I said, did you see how good he looks? He came up and gave me the biggest hug. He said, Pastor Mike, thank you for coming and seeing me in jail. Your words gave me great direction. The church, hold on, hold on. You say, oh, well, wow, great job, Pastor Mike. No, no. Do you remember, Pastor Mike? That was not me. I couldn't take any credit for it. I didn't take any credit for it. I didn't feel, no, no. It it was God that sent, all I was was a piece of human PVC pipe that just was available that God just spoke through. He just flowed through. And God spoke words of life to that young man. You say, well, that's what pastors do. If you believe that, you'll have missed the heart of this message because I believe with every fiber of my being, and I mean this, I'm serious as a heart attack, God wants to do that exact same thing with you this week. If we will surrender our hearts and surrender our tongues to him, he will use you to speak words of life to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, 
to that one who is hurting, to that one that's at the end, to that one that's on the mountaintop, the one that's in the valley. He will use you in amazing and powerful ways. Because this tongue, like a bit in a horse's mouth, like a rudder on the ship, is incredibly powerful. And church, I'm just bold enough to believe that we, if we'll surrender to him, can use it for good. And it won't be about us. That's the beautiful thing. But it will be about what he did through us as we were available and at his bidding. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for not only have you saved us, but you desire to use us. And you desire to use our words, Lord. Lord, our tongues, our words, our heart is a big part of what that looks like. And Lord, some of us in this room, many of us in this room, most of us in this room have made mistakes. Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, would you cleanse us? And would you show us the joy of dedicating, of consecrating our hearts and our tongues and our hands and our feet to you, that we and our families and in our neighborhoods and in our church would be used by you in powerful and compelling ways. And in ways, Lord, that only you could get the glory. That's what you're saying in this chapter. There's great power here. Lord, help us to use it for good. Lord, all of this is possible because of what you have done for us upon the cross. Because of who we are in you, we have this possibility of every aspect of our life resounding to your glory and resounding to be a blessing to those that we meet, that we talk to, that we serve. And Lord, the last Sunday of each month, we hold the bread and we hold the cup to remind ourselves of what you did that we might have freedom. That what you did, Lord, that we might have usefulness. That what you did, Lord, that we might have a eternity with you in heaven. And from hearts of incredibly grateful followers, we hold the bread in the cup to say thank you. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you for all you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.